Lord, I just want to thank you for the unction of your Holy Spirit upon what you have given me to speak today. I want to thank you, Father God, that as I have uh, humbled myself before you, I believe, Lord, that you have spoken clearly to me. And I pray, Father God, that every heart would be open to receive and to act upon uh, what you've released. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Oh, we need to take up the offering, which I have a tendency to forget. <laughs> and uh, thank you for your generosity in giving. And so uh, while the offering's being taken up, I'll just, I'll just uh, speak about this particular aspect because it's not quite part of my message, but I did want to address it. Um, and this is the part, Cliff, that I'd like kind of um, prepared for, for release um, on YouTube. Uh, I have attempted to post a video to YouTube over the last few days about a fulfillment, a fulfillment of my prophetic word to the United States of America. And if I go back to uh, June 2020, so June last year, uh, specifically on June the 10th and June the 25th, I released uh, two follow-up words to my initial prophetic word for the United States of America. And uh, in those two prophetic words, which you will find on our YouTube channel dated the 10th of June and the 25th of June, I released a prophetic word saying that there would be a series of shock waves across the United States in the lead up to the US election. And that, that prophetic word was fulfilled in things like uh, the tearing down of monuments across the United States, the incredible riots that we saw across the United States of America the uh, destruction of most of the business district of Kenosha in Wisconsin. Uh, part of my prophetic word was keep your eye on the state of Wisconsin because something is going to happen there, and sure, and sure enough, it did. Um, we saw it in riots in the U.S. Capitol. Uh, we saw it in riots across America. Um, there were uh, many fulfillments, shockwave after shockwave. One of the worst ones that I saw was that there was uh, footage shown... Um, on YouTube, um, of a YouTube live where in Portland, Oregon, um, people were gathered around a bonfire consisting of the Word of God, burning of Bibles in the United States of America in a public square. There was the uh, takeover of an entire downtown district of a, you know, of a, of, uh, a United States city. And uh, then on the 25th, of June, I prophesied that there would be uh, one final shock at the end of this series uh, to do with the United States election that would stop the nation in its tracks, that the nation would pause and be forced to ask themselves, do we really want to go down this path? And we've seen that the fulfillment of that prophetic word play out two days ago with what's been described as the storming of the US Capitol building. Since then, we have seen uh, the beginning of the muzzling of conservative voices on social media. And even the sitting president of the United States of America has had his Twitter account shut down and is being silenced on platform after platform across the United States of America. Now, I'm not addressing um, 
these things specifically in my message, but um, I know that there are people that need to hear that a lot of what I've been prophesying over the last, uh, particularly the last seven or eight months, that it's being fulfilled in real time um, as we speak. And uh, so those of you who are watching on live stream who might be interested in hearing uh, what else the Lord is speaking to me about these uh, circumstances, uh, we're going to be having a prophetic fire meeting on Zoom um, next Saturday morning, Sydney time at 10 a.m. And if you would like the details for registering for that, please go to kingdomrain.org.au or the Open Heaven Church website and you'll see a registration link. For those of you here in church this morning who would like to uh, be part of that meeting, I'll be distributing the link via text after this service. And uh, so off the back of this, and I'm still processing what's, what's actually happening in real time um, with the US election, and I'm not yet prepared to say anything further about um, what's transpired. Um, but I do want to address a few things to do with the prophetic this morning because the word that I'm going to preach in maybe two minutes is going to be a prophetic message. And so I want to establish at least a level of confidence that uh, in your hearts that what I am hearing is from the Lord because there is so much confusion around the prophetic at the moment. My journey into the prophetic began many years ago, but really began to widen in scope in 2012. And in particular, God gave me um, a very profound word, which I only rediscovered um, a few days ago as I was preparing for the kingdom school. And what the Lord spoke to me at that time was that we had perhaps 10 years left of religious freedom in Australia. That was 2012. We're now in 2020. Uh, sorry, 2021. I keep forgetting that we've actually, the, you know, we've moved into 2021. So uh, now when I look at what's happening um, in the United States of America, I see what is uh, the greatest crisis that that nation has faced for um, well over 100 years. Um, but the crisis that we see unfolding there um, goes far beyond anything to do with the United States election and it reaches into the heart of every nation, particularly the West. And things are coming to a climax. On Friday night, a few of us gathered here to worship and pray and the theme of that night was around needing to be in that place of intimacy and hearing from the Lord. If there was ever a time in the history of the Australian church since World War II, perhaps, that we needed to hear from the Lord, it is now. The church needs to hear from the Lord. We need to hear from the Lord individually, and we need to hear from the Lord corporately, and we need to be confident in what we hear. Is that true? I'm getting a little bit more response now, so I'm very encouraged by that. <laughs> so I've got a prophetic message to share with you this morning, and it's called The Gathering Storm. On Tuesday night, I was at home, and uh, I was 
sitting in that little area where I prepare my messages and I was waiting on the Lord and uh, Kim came to me and said, you should go outside and, and check out the lightning storm that's going on. Now, um, always associate lightning storms with thunder, right? You hear, you hear thunder and you go, oh, there's, there's lightning going on outside. So I went outside and I looked straight up at the sky above me and all I could see was stars in the sky. It was a clear sky and I'm thinking, what is she talking about? And then uh, my, my gaze went south because I was looking around and all of a sudden I saw this huge uh, bolts of sheet lightning filled the sky in the south and when that, that bolts of lightning lit up, you could see that it was lighting up a huge formation of cumulus clouds. You know those ones that kind of build up into the heavens. And the thing that was uh, most amazing about this was that I've never seen a lightning show like this. It was constant. You know how normally you'll see a bolt of lightning and then you'll hear a crack of thunder and then there'll be a few seconds you might get another one. This thing went for 10 minutes straight without stopping. But there was no thunder. I couldn't hear the thunder. And so I realized that the reason I couldn't hear the thunder was that it was off in the distance, but I also felt something prophetic in my heart that if I wasn't looking in the right direction, I wouldn't even know that storm was coming. And for many of us, that's where we are. We don't know what's coming. And if you don't know what's coming, you can't prepare. But if you know it's coming, you can prepare. And so... Uh, Sure enough, a couple of, later, a couple of hours later, we got a huge drenching downpour. And at maybe 2 o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I heard the Lord speaking to me as I woke up. And he said, there is a gathering storm. I got up and prayed for a while and I heard the Lord again. This is just before what exploded in America. I heard the Lord again. There is a gathering storm, but my people are unprepared. The years of plenty have brought entitlement into the house of the Lord. There is still time to prepare. I have some more that God has been speaking to me, but simultaneous to uh, receiving this word from the Lord, he was taking me into a passage of scripture and challenging me with this passage. And so we're going to go to some passages of scripture that deal with the disciples being in storms. And so if you will turn with me to uh, the book of Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. It starts off like this. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. 
and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. They were, they were scared before, now they're even more scared. And said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so here we see Jesus bringing his disciples into a conflict between fear and faith. Who knows that God can't bless your fear, but he will bless your faith. And so Jesus steps into the situation and demonstrates his complete authority over the natural realm, over storms. And in ancient cultures, gods who, could, who were regarded as having control over nature were regarded as the most powerful. That's why in the confrontation between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, that was so profound because Baal was regarded as the god who produced fertility and rain and wind and storms. And in this particular story, this should be the pivotal moment for the disciples because they had demonstrated to them clearly that they serve Jesus who has command over the natural realm. But genuine faith is not proven without trial. Have you ever noticed that? And this same guy, Peter, who we're going to focus, about, focus on in a minute, Many years later, had this to say, 1 Peter 1, 6-7, he speaks about trials and the purpose of them. He says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The genuineness of your faith which is more precious than anything you possess, anything you own, any of your aspirations, anything else. Your faith is the most precious thing that you have, is tested by fire to prove out in you the presence and character of Jesus. And when Peter wrote these words in 1 Peter, he wrote them from bitter experience and he wrote them from victory. Bitter defeat when he denied Christ three times and incredible victory when he got up on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 came to the Lord. The conflict between fear and faith that the disciples went through in the storm would be raised again in a similar way just weeks later as we're going to see. But in between, there was this series of amazing things that happened in their lives as they followed Jesus. And the disciples who Jesus were training were right there at the center of it. And it wasn't just a case of them watching Jesus do incredible things. He began to draw them into the process of doing incredible things in his name. And so you get this series of stories. Jesus cast a legion of demons out of the man in the Gadarenes into a herd of pigs. You know that story? That's immediately after they crossed the other side in this boat after Jesus says, peace be still to the storm. 
Then there's a woman with the flow of blood for 12 years, made well by her faith as she touched the hem of his robe. Then there's the raising from the dead of Jairus' daughter, the leader of the synagogue, followed by Jesus sending out the disciples to cast out demons and heal the sick. See, they've been watching, they've been observing, now they're going to do. How long before we do? In Mark 6, verse 12, 13, it says, So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They're carrying faith. They're carrying anointing. They're carrying the name of Jesus. So the disciples have grown in faith, in power, and in anointing. And during this time, they get the terrible news that King Herod has beheaded John the Baptist because of the influence of Herodias. Wherever you read the name Herodias in that account, think Jezebel. Herodias, Jezebel. The spirit between, between the spirit behind Herodias was Jezebel. Hold on to that thought because this will play a part in the conclusion of this message. And so then Jesus draws them into this huge step of faith in the feeding of the 5,000. You may well have been in church here a few weeks ago when I preached specifically about the feeding of the 5,000 because we understand from that story that though Jesus blessed the loaves and fish and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, each of those disciples only had a few fragments in their hands when they turned to the crowd and there were 5,000 men plus women plus children. So here, 12 guys with a few fragments turning in faith to a multitude and turning in the faith that somehow they're all going to get fed. Can you see extraordinary faith in this story? And each of these incidents warrants its own message. But what I'm uh, drawing you into is an understanding that having seen what Jesus did, now they were doing what Jesus did. And so now we come to the second storm encounter and this is just a matter of weeks, perhaps months later in Matthew 14, 33. I'm taking uh, us to this account of it because it's a little bit uh, larger in scope before we return to Mark. So Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33, this is after the feeding of the 5,000. It says in verse 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. This is the second storm that they encounter. Now in the fourth watch of the night, in the dead of night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. 
Have you ever cried out for fear? But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, have you ever stopped yourself in reading this account and thought, what did he say? Because as I read this account the other night, I was stopped in my tracks. So hit the pause button here for a moment and consider that there are a range of things that Peter could have said in this moment. Like, for instance, Lord, if it's really you, calm the storm. Right? Or, Lord, if it's you, take us to the other side. But what he did say was birthed in pure, raw, anointed faith. Where does this faith come from? Peter has seen Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and cleanse lepers. In the last few months between the last storm and the one that Peter finds himself in now, Peter himself has gone out, he has preached the gospel, he has healed the sick, and he has cast out demons. I was just telling you about that out of Mark, right? He has been part of distributing five small loaves and two fish to 5,000 men plus women and children, so a crowd of 10,000, just as many as were at the SCG yesterday. Can you think of that? He has walked in miracles and signs and wonders. And I believe that Peter's heart attitude in this moment, in this moment, in the middle of this storm, when he says, if it's you, tell me to come to you, his heart attitude is if Jesus did it, I can do it too. Does that sound a little heretical to you? Perhaps those of you of a religious background. Oh, he can't do what Jesus did. Matthew 10, 8. This is my life scripture, really. My call. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. John 14, 12, most, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. He who believes in me, what, clara, what qualifies you to do these works? Your faith, the fact that you believe. In Luke 6, 40, he says, a disciple is not above his teacher but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. What was Jesus doing? He was training his disciples. And now Peter grabs hold of the opportunity that he had been in this training for. And he thinks to himself, if Jesus is out there on the water and he's calling me, I can go where he is. 
It's awful quiet in here. <laughs> so back to Matthew 4.29. So Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And now he's doing what Jesus is doing. Verse 30, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Have you ever noticed how direct Jesus can be when addressing our lack of faith? He doesn't mollycoddle Peter here. He just says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Even as he's lifting him out of that place of fear. Jesus was expecting that Peter's faith response to his call would take him further than it did. But Peter's the only one that got out of the boat. Peter's the only one that got out of the boat. Verse 32, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Verse 33, then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now, there are a couple of lessons in this story that I see that God has for us. And the first one is very, very obvious. We need to be like Peter. Would you say? We need to have that raw, anointed faith that is prepared to step out of our place of comfort into a place of danger for his name's sake, knowing that he is calling us to that place. He learned from all those training experiences that came between the first storm and the second and was prepared to act in faith and was prepared to literally step out of the boat and walk towards Jesus on water. But there's more here that is a little less obvious and I want us to get as complete a picture of this as is possible. I read this account of, this, of the second storm from Matthew because Matthew is the one that records uh, Jesus saying, you know, come to me, walk to me. Um, but we're going to go back to Mark and I want to crack this open for you and help you see something that hinders us. So in Mark's account, Mark ends his account of this second storm like this. Mark 6 verse 51 and 52. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, as anybody would. Verse 52, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Have you ever read that scripture? Have you ever thought, what does that mean? What's loaves got to do with the hardening of the heart? Now, I want you to concentrate here because I'm preaching, but I'm teaching at the same time. 
And if we can get hold of this, I believe it's going to produce a shift in our heart attitude from fear permanently into a place of faith. What is this about loaves? And why were their hearts hardened? What does this mean? Well, they've just come from a place where they distributed out of their own hands five loaves of bread to 5,000 men plus women plus children. And the, the key to that was that they distributed. They were the ones that turned to the crowd. They were the ones that began to give out those miraculous portions that God released. They had been on a faith journey into operating in the anointing. They were healing the sick. They were casting out demons. They were feeding multitudes supernaturally out of raw faith and obedience. So why all this unbelief when confronted with another impossibility? The fullness of this only becomes apparent in the words of Jesus in Mark 8. And now we're on yet another boat trip. And now we're going to the third boat trip that Jesus takes with the disciples because in this passage he explains what the loaves and the hardness of heart mean for them and for us. So in Mark 8, from verses 13 through to 21, the word says this, that he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them. See, Jesus is seeing this. They've got one loaf, right? Then he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves saying, well, it's because we have no bread. So they have a lack of bread, right? They get into the boat. They realize they've only got one loaf. Jesus sees their unbelief that that one loaf is enough. They don't believe it's enough. They have a lack of bread. But Jesus rebukes, rebukes them by talking about Types of leaven that hinder faith. Do you know what leaven does? You use it to make bread. It's what makes the bread rise. It what makes it, it's what makes it expand, right? In fact, Jesus, uh, when we read in the, in, in the Bible about leaven, we have two types. We've got the, the, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. If we're operating out of that kingdom place, that, that we are expanding in the kingdom. But this leaven that Jesus talking about, is talking about is not a good leaven. It goes on to say, verse 17, But Jesus, being aware of it, of their reasoning about, oh, it's because we have no bread, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Why do you reason? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Remember what I said from the last passage about, about the boat. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said 12. They start off with this, they feed 10,000 people and then they take up baskets 
full of the fragments that are left over. They started with little, they distributed much, and they ended up with more than they began with. Jesus is obviously, Jesus obviously doesn't think that they quite got it yet because he says to them, also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? So what is this about leaven? Because he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and beware of the leaven of Herod. Now, I've dived into this. And the reason that I've gone to multiple accounts of the same story this morning is because there's a harmony in the Gospels where you'll pick one facet of the story from one account and you'll find something else. You'll find another gem in one of the other accounts. And that's what happened with me with this. Because so far, we have the leaven of the Pharisees and we have the leaven of Herod, right? That's what Jesus is warning against. But in Matthew, 6, Matthew 16's account of this, we get the additional detail that Jesus included the leaven of the Sadducees. So now we've got the leaven of the Pharisees, we've got the leaven of the Sadducees, and we've got the leaven of Herod. Are you with me, church? And he's saying that this is responsible for their hardness of heart. So I went diving into my concordances. I went diving into my commentaries. I went diving into the Spirit of the Lord. You know, it's great to read commentaries. It's great to read uh, concordances. It's great to read the Word of God. But you need to read it in the Holy Spirit. And you've always got to be in that place of, God, show me what it is that I'm missing here. So this is what I found. The leaven of the Pharisees was legalism and unbelief even leading to hypocrisy. Legalism and unbelief even leading to hypocrisy. The leaven of the Sadducees, the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they did not believe in the physical resurrection of the body. The leaven of the Sadducees was materialism and rationalism and denial of the supernatural. The leaven of Herod. What's the leaven of Herod? And which, which Herod are we talking about? I can tell you which one it is because there's like four, I believe, in the five, <laughs> in the accounts of the New Testament. But we, when I talked about Jesus training his disciples in that series of the miraculous, they got the news that John the Baptist was killed by Herod. So that's the Herod that we're talking about. What's the leaven of Herod? Herod allowed the spirit of Jezebel operating in Herodias to influence him into having John the Baptist killed. He killed the prophetic voice. He killed the forerunner. These three types of leaven, the leaven of the Pharisees, legalism, unbelief, hypocrisy, the leaven of the Sadducees, materialism, rationalism, denial of the supernatural, and the leaven of Herod, despising the prophetic, 
God is teaching us here these produce hardening of heart. And so now I wanted to be very careful about what I felt God was showing me and I wanted to explore this concept of hardness of heart. See, it says in the Bible, uh, today if you will hear his voice, who knows that Peter heard his voice and Jesus called him out across the water. Today, if you, will heart, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Now, in this particular passage where it talks about hardening of heart, um, the Greek word for this, which is porul, uh, and I've got no idea how to pronounce that, P-O-R-O-O with a couple of those things over the top. Anna, how do I pronounce that? It was right. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, this, uh, this version of hardening means to petrify, to indurate. <laughs> Does anybody know the, the, the meaning of the word indurate? Indurate means to, re, to render stupid or callous. Just getting uncomfortable. It also means to blind and to harden. And then when I looked at it a little further, it says to cover with a thick skin, to harden by covering with a callous, to make the heart dull, to grow hard, to become callous, to become dull, to, be, to lose the power of understanding. Elsewhere in Scripture, the word translated as hardened is a little bit different. It means stubborn and obstinate and stiff-necked, tough, harsh or dense, but not here. It's talking about the callous that forms over what God has birthed in us so that we can no longer clearly hear His voice calling us into the supernatural. What we are facing across the globe today cannot be dealt with in the material realm. Your heart attitude towards what is happening around you cannot be dealt with by your wealth, cannot be dealt with by your position or your possessions or your ambitions. It can only be dealt with by the Spirit of the Lord. And when the Spirit of the Lord calls to us, He says, come. And what Jesus is teaching here is that the more you operate in legalism, the more you operate in materialism and rationalism and the more you reject prophecy, the less you operate in the realm of raw faith. Why do I include prophecy there? Because Herod killed the prophet, the forerunner, shut down the voice of the prophetic. That's what the enemy's trying to do. The less you operate in these realms of raw faith, the harder your heart becomes, the more calloused. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21, we're going to dive into some of this stuff in the kingdom school because the, the area of prophecy is so controversial at the moment. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21, the Bible tells us clearly, do not quench the spirit. Can you say that with me? Do not quench the spirit maybe it's just the mask keeping you quiet 
do not quench the spirit. I hear faith in the room. (laughs) Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Prophecy is currently being despised. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things and hold fast what is good. 90%. (laughs) Let's not go there. Hold fast what is good. And even when we do step into that realm of raw faith, too many of us are like Peter in the sense that we take a few successful steps and all of a sudden we're standing on water in the middle of a storm and Jesus is over here and the boat is over there. And if Peter does not hear Jesus' voice, if he does not cry out to God, what's going to happen? He's going to sink. Jesus called him out to walk on the storm and through the storm. And Jesus knew he was going to fail, but he picked him up and lifted him back up and said, your faith is insufficient to where you're going. And it was. And yet here we are sitting in a Pentecostal church, born again by the Spirit of the Lord, filled with his Holy Spirit. And my question would be, are we operating in the raw faith that Peter demonstrated in even getting out of the boat? This is what so much of the church is mired in. Legalism. Unbelief. Hypocrisy. Materialism, rationalism, rejection of the supernatural and a rejection of the genuine prophetic voice of the Lord. Just like the disciples at that time, we are in a boat. This church is like a boat. Everybody gathered uh, on live stream with us today, we're all in the same boat. <laughs> Can I say that? We're all in the same boat. This thing that's going on is global. I'm not just talking about pandemic, I'm talking about what's happening in the political and social realms. We're all in this boat, and Jesus has said, You're going over, or we're going over to the other side. Do you believe we're going to get there? And do you understand that as we have set out on this journey now more than at any time in anything that I can recall in my lifetime, we are sailing into a gathering storm. And when we get to that place where the waves are high, and the wind is blowing so hard, that's the moment that Jesus chooses to walk across the water there off in the distance saying, I'm here and you're there, but you need to be here. Do you hear me, church? That even though the circumstances and everything that we see around us seems to be 
uh, going pear-shaped, seems to be just disintegrating around us. Jesus is on the other side of that storm and he's saying, come to me. And he's actually asking us if we're willing to say, Lord, I know it's you. Bid me come to you because his answer is always yes. Come on. And if you should fall on the way and begin to sink down into the storm, if you should start going down for the third time, Jesus will reach down into that storm, into that wave, into that tempest and pull you up and go, oh, you of little faith, why did you not believe? (laughs) Am I speaking to you, church? Come on. This is what God is challenging me with. Let me finish with what uh, the prophetic word that the Lord has been speaking to me over the last few days. Irene, could you bring the worship team up? I know we're talking about storms and wind and rain and all that, but uh, I can't get that. Our God is an all-consuming fire out of my heart at the moment and I believe God wants to deal with hardened hearts some of you your hearts are so hard they turn to metal and God's bouncing off it some of you your hearts have become so calloused some of us, that we are stupefied by what we see going on around us. If your heart is as hard as metal, the only place for it is the crucible. And our God is the refining fire that melts the hardest heart. Amen, church? This is what I feel the Lord is saying to us right now. In fact, I'm prepared to say, thus saith the Lord. There is a storm gathering, but my people are unprepared. The years of plenty have brought entitlement into the house of the Lord. But there is still time to prepare. This storm is not going to abate. I expect my people to step out of the boat and walk toward me. Your peace will come and remain upon you as long as you fix your eyes on me. The future is filled with many dangers and many perils but it is also filled with unprecedented kingdom opportunity. Those who rely on man's wisdom in this season will flounder and sink. 
Those who completely trust in me will boldly walk impossible paths and in doing so will learn to operate in supernatural authority over impossible circumstances. This is not a season for Pharisees. This is not a season for Sadducees and nor is it a season for those seduced by Jezebel. I've done it before and I keep saying it. Jezebel, get out of here. Get off the church of Jesus. You have no right, no portion, no inheritance in what God is doing amongst his people. I hear the Lord say, do not look for certainty in this season in the political, social or economic realms. It does not exist. Look to me and you will thrive. If you want an abundant life in 2021, you're going to have to get out of the boat. You're going to have to fix your eyes on Jesus and you're going to have to walk to him. Can I get an amen, church? Let's stand this morning. And what we're doing is we're inviting Jesus to come with his refining fire and burn off the callous, burn off the legalism, burn off the unbelief, burn off the hypocrisy, burn off the rationalism and the materialism, burn off every last vestige of Jezebel so that we can walk in power and anointing and walk through the storm to the other side because Jesus said, that's where we're going. Hallelujah. Thank you, Irene.